Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Fully. In this series on whole life stewardship, we are learning what it means to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be with you this morning. My name is Chuck. If we've not met, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm one of the worship leaders, and I get to lead our worship arts ministry. So I'm hanging with artists a lot of the time. I love getting to do that. love getting to create collaborative spaces for our church to come together and to worship. Today, I get to open the Word of God, and I love doing that as well. So if you brought a Bible with you, why don't you take it out? And turn to Ephesians. If you're still getting used to your Bible, Ephesians is going to be in the back in the New Testament. So you'll get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and you'll see Galatians, and Ephesians is going to be somewhere in there. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can grab one off the rack and the seat back in front of you. And we'd love for you to take that home. This is a copy, uh, your own copy of God's Word. So we just started a series called Foley last week. And what we did is lift that word right out of our vision statement, which is we want to see every generation give themselves fully to Jesus and to his mission. And so we began thinking about this, like, what what does that look like in all the different areas of our life, right? Like, what does it look like to give ourselves fully when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our mind, when it comes to our body, when it comes to our finances? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kick off about five, six weeks of just walking through each of these topics. And today, we're going to talk about what it looks like to give ourselves fully in the area of our time. Now... I think it's God's humor just a little bit that I'm teaching on this. And, and those of you who know me, you might chuckle a little bit. Uh, maybe that's a pun intended with my name. Okay. So I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story here to tell you, just give you insight into my relationship with time. In my office, I have a whiteboard wall. Love my whiteboard wall. Any, any whiteboard people here? I love what, thank you. Yes. Amen. I love my whiteboard wall and over uh, on the whiteboard wall written above uh, uh, my, my door is, is the phrase, there is always enough time signed Jesus. I've got it up there for you. And this was uh, put up there by a friend of mine about three years ago who knows how deep my love hate relationship with time runs. There are days, if I'm honest, when I'm like super stressed and the waters are up to here and my task looks like, oh, it's hitting me, boom, boom, boom. But I, I, I turn and I look at this and sometimes out loud, guys, if I'm, I'm, I'm being honest, I'm like, no, there's not. <laughs> and then Jesus says back to me, yes, there is. I say, no, there's not. He says, yes, there is. I say, no, there's not. And I don't think it's really fair because it's like in blue marker up there and I can't change it. So then I think about like making this checkmate move. How do you like me now, Jesus? How do you like me now? I think you can take it, you know? This is just kind of an inside look to how I'm personally learning to pray. I don't know if I'd recommend it, uh, but maybe it's good I'm not teaching on prayer, rather just time. (laughs) But here's the question that I want to put on the table this morning is, what would you say back to Jesus? Is there always enough time? And are you making the most of it? If you're following along in your notes... Do you have enough time and are you making the best use of it? You still have your finger in Ephesians 5 there. You can open that up. It's also on your message notes. You can follow along. Starting in verse 15, the apostle Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk, 
Look carefully. Like, be present. Pay attention. Be mindful of how you walk out your faith, your life here on earth. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. The word there in the Greek is kairos. It means to steward the opportunity, the moment, the gift well. Because the days are evil. Anyone feel that? Anyone feel the evilness of the days? Anyone feel the influence of the father of lies, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, here on earth? Anyone experiencing the reality that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against strongholds, principalities of darkness? Anyone get the sense that we could just be lulled to sleep, or worse yet, taken out by the grind of endless, mindless day after day after day? The days are evil. The days are evil. So Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus says it like this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And my hope and my prayer this morning is that's what we'll do. But we'll take his yoke upon us and we'll learn from him just a bit about how he sees time and how I, how we see time. And like, what's the gap there? Is there a gap? And can we shorten that gap? Can we be conformed a little bit more into his image? Can we be transformed to see time the way that he does? Everybody with me? Everybody good with that? All right. I'm not so sure. (laughs) Now I am. Now I am. So what we're going to do here is we're going to just give a little bit context. And then we're going to dive into a little more scripture later on. But what I want to do is I just want to put two Greek words on the table that are often translated time in our English, and they're used all the time. Uh, so the first one is chronos. Chronos. Everybody say that with me. Say chronos. That's a good job, guys. It's great. This is where we get the English word chronological or chronicle. It means measured, ticking, and make anybody nervous quantitative time. Like, what time is it? Is there enough time? Is there enough time for this? I mean, what time it is? It's the forward propelling time that we measure with clocks and on watches. We see this word used in the Bible in passages like 2 Timothy 1.9. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Or in concepts like, teach us to number our days, Psalm 90. It's chronological Chronological. Now, the second word I want to get on the table is the Greek word kairos. Kairos this is the word that Paul used. I'm, I mentioned that already. Everybody say it with me. Say kairos. Kairos. Kairos is a lesser known but no less important word. It's what philosophers would refer to as deep time. And the definition for kairos I want to use is unmeasured. Ah, unmeasured. Unticking. That's nice. Qualitative time. Unmeasured, unticking, qualitative time. These are the moments in life where time stands still. We see this used in the Bible in passages like Matthew 21, 34, when the season for fruit drew near. The moment. Jesus came on the scene, and in Mark 1.14, it talks about this. He came on the scene proclaiming and teaching, Behold, the time has come, Kairos. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. A moment pregnant with possibility. Heaven meets earth. And nobody in that moment is like, hey, does anyone know what time it is? 
Anybody sure what time it is? <laughs> no one's like that. They're like, oh my gosh. Oh, I get it. My, my eyes are open. Eureka, you know? Kairos. Kairos. In preparation for this sermon, I read James K. Smith's latest book, How to Inhabit Time. So good. Highly recommend it. It was so helpful. And one of the things I particularly found helpful was his insight into the history of modern time. Just think about this for a moment. Prior to modernity and electricity and airplanes, people's understanding of time was primarily rooted in rhythms. Rhythms like sun up, sun down, summer and winter, plant and harvest. Think Ecclesiastes 3, you know, a time to sow, a time to reap. A time to tear down, a time to build, a time to keep, a time to throw away. Turn, 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 turn. Fans of the birds, no? (laughs) People's idea of time was subjective. It's like we're using the sun. Like, hey, I'll be there at sun up. When is that? Sun up, I don't know. High noon is when we're going to meet. The festival, even for the Hebrew culture, is like it'll begin at sundown. Sundown, But you can imagine as the world becomes more connected through commerce, shipping, the railways, subjective time is not just annoying, it's deadly. Like if you've got two trains leaving two places are using the same track, I don't think you want to be setting their departure times with the sun, you know? So, so as things start to change, we shift from subjective time to standardized time. Now we're all setting our watches off of Greenwich Mean Time in London, right? We're all syncing after that. But that's not the only thing that shifted. Another shift happened as well. We shifted our concept of how we think about time. So, so track with me here. If rhythms and cycles, sun up, sundown, represented how the majority of people viewed time before, what represents how we view time today. Anybody? Extra credit. Tom's going to throw it up there. Yeah? The line. The dreaded line. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> we move from a time to plant and a time to reap to time marches on and on and on. Check this out. In 1765, an English chemist by the name of Joseph Priestley published what we would now recognize as the first timeline. He called it a chart of biography. We're going to throw it up here on the screen for you. A little hard to see, but I'm going to explain it to you. Okay, so this chart is divided into six major rows. You can see the rows of what he thought to be the world's most significant vocations from 1000 BC to AD 1700. So in each of these rows, he's got vocations like statesmen and warriors and artists and poets and orators and critics, so on and so forth. And each row is streaked with a thin black line. You can't see them too well, but they're horizontal lines representing the lifespan of famous individuals who had gained renown in each of their fields. And what Priestley's trying to do here is he's like, Hey, look what we're doing here in the 1700s, man. Like, we're, we're doing some big things. You see what we're doing? As you get all the way over to the end of his thing, he's like, look at all these things that are happening. Boom, boom, boom. But what Priestley could not know is that the line would go on to become the way modern people think about time. Onward and upward. 
next thing and the next thing and the next thing, always calculating the line, right? Like, I got that coming up on the line. There's that coming. I can't wait till that on the line. When I get there on the line, I'm going to rest. And then I get there on the line, I don't rest because I'm thinking about there on the line. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Curse you, Joseph Priestley. <laughs> You're the reason I argue with Jesus in my office, <laughs> right? <laughs> the next thing, the next thing. James K. Smith says this, modernity is the triumph of the line over the cycle, the line over rhythms. And here's the point, friends. The line is an interpretation. The line's not how time actually exists. But since the 18th century, we have been trained to visualize time as a march in the form of a line. Now I want to put a different representation of time up on the screen. Because not everybody's seeing time like that line. This is a painting by El Greco. It's called The Death of the Count. El Greco was a Greek painter and sculptor who lived in Spain in the late 16th, early 17th centuries. And what I want you to notice is the differing idea or concept of time in this piece compared to the other one. Towards the bottom, as we zoom in here, you can see we have the count or mayor of a Spanish town who died in the 16th century. He's being laid to rest in the tomb by Stephen the martyr and St. Augustine. We know who is who in the painting by the small images that Greco painted on on the robes of each figure. So, for example, I circled here. We see the image of Stephen stoning. You can't really make it out, but that's the image of that. That's how we know it's Stephen. And we see also that although Stephen lived in the first century and Augustine in the fourth and fifth centuries, Stephen is pictured as younger. There's, there's no adherence to time in the painting. And as we pull back out, we note the distinction between heaven and earth in the painting. It's almost as if to say there's more going on in this moment than we can know or see. Jesus is up above and his mother Mary there with Peter and John and the others. People who've gone before, present in the moment. And right in the middle of the picture is the Count's young soul moving from earth into eternity. We pull back out again. Notice the emphasis on Kairos. As if we're putting our arms through the curtain of this world and into the reality of the next. The time has come. Heaven and earth meet. The kingdom of God is near. See it? Friends, what if the invitation in scripture is for us to be just as mindful of Greco's interpretation, if not more of time, than we are of Priestley's? What if the call for an apprentice of Jesus is to learn how to faithfully inhabit both Kronos and Kairos time, but to let our Kairos drive our Kronos instead of letting our Kronos rob our Kairos. Think about Jesus with me for just a moment. Like, did Jesus have enough time? Did he make the most of it? I don't know what we'd say to that. Like, I mean, he did the bulk of his work in three years. (laughs) It's 33 years, but three years, the bulk of his work to change the World, this is stunning. Stunning. And what's more stunning 
than what he did is how he did it. With such short time to accomplish so much, he still made time for weekly Sabbath, deep relationships, daily prayer, strengthening his mind, the word of God, the work of carpentry, the time for listening and leaning in. His life was chock full of Greco moments as he inhabited Priestley's timeline. He lived mindful of both Kronos and Kairos, present present and he didn't leave us right he didn't leave us any time management techniques like we don't have any of his life hacks instead you know what he said john 8 28 i do nothing on my own authority but only what the father has taught me i always do what pleases him what (laughs) like what (laughs) nothing more jesus give us something more you're the most productive person who ever lived and one of his final moments with his disciples here on earth the night before he's crucified the last words he wants to leave them when it comes to making the most of their time on earth what does he say john 15 turn turn your message notes over i won't read the whole thing but just note what he is driving home here abide in me he says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Skipping forward. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Skipping forward. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I abide in my father's love. Abide. 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 Ten times in 11 verses. He is just hammering this home. The Greek word here for abide is meno. Meno, it means to remain, make your home in, stay in a place. Jesus' final word is that we are to make our home in God. We're to anchor our mind and our awareness in him. We're to move through our day and our week and our year, chronos, with him who is bringing the kingdom, That's like Jesus is saying, you want to know how to make the most of the time? Simple. Apart from me, you do nothing. I did nothing apart from my father. You do nothing apart from me. My father was always present to me. I will always be present to you because the time has come. The kingdom of God is near, like right here. Like you can put your arm through the curtain of this world into the reality of the next. We bear much fruit by abiding. And I want to ask you, is the reality of this truth reflected in your life? The kingdom of God is near. Every moment pregnant with possibility. Now, I want to throw Priestley's timeline back up for just a second. Okay? And I just want to go on record as saying that I am a fan of productivity and progress, all right? Like, I'm not about just hanging out, doing nothing. I love my microwave. I drive a Hyundai Elantra. I flew Southwest last October. I appreciated the airplane. I love to work hard. And Jesus worked hard. But I just want to suggest what we potentially miss, what I miss, for sure, when I'm driven solely by the line, by an interpretation of time, the next project being finished. Maybe, maybe the most mind-blowing thing 
about Joseph Priestley's timeline? It's not the productivity in the 18th century, but that one of these black dashes here around the turn of the century that I circled up here represents Jesus Christ incarnate, walking the face of the earth, proclaiming the good news. The kingdom of God is near. The incarnation, the eternal steps into the transitory God with us forever. And perhaps we miss him, friends. We miss him. Maybe it's just like a black dash on a timeline to us. Could it be that we think our lives are so full, but in fact, they're empty. They're empty, and we need the fullness of time, Jesus Christ, the eternal one, to meet us and guide us and speak to us and bring clarity and bring us life. He's available. Every moment, he's available. I love how author and writer Annie Dillard puts it. The absolute is available in every age. There never was a more holy age than ours and never less. Now, I am for progress and productivity. Made that clear. I am also for the pragmatic and the practical. (laughs) All right, so I just got to put myself in your shoes, and I'm kind of having like an inner tension battle here, just to be honest. Like, we're sitting here going, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Uh, I'm just so busy. You know, I just got all this stuff going on with the club sports and my phone and my job, and I'm just just sweating listening. I'm sweating because I don't know. Like, what am I going to do? How do I do this? So if you're here today and you're like that, like we're on the same page, okay? I'm a practitioner of this. So I just want to drive just, just, Get, get straight to this, like, how is this possible? And, and the first thing that I want to say is that I'm not sure that busyness is, is like a modern problem. I, I think it's a human problem. <laughs> like, like, why then did Jesus come to people in the first century and he said, hey, come unto me, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. In the first century, he was telling people, like, don't worry about what you will wear, what you will eat, or where you will go, but seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. And the early church had an answer for this. I'm telling you, I find it very compelling. And if I'm honest, it's the thing that has helped me the most in the last two to three years, and it's called a rule of life. A rule of life. So a couple of things about a rule of life. Number one, it's not plural, rules for life. It is singular, rule of life. All right. Although it can be traced all the way back to the second century and the Celts, it was popularized by St. Benedict in 527. And I'm going to give you a definition. We'll put it up here on the screen. A rule of life is simply a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that set up abiding as the central pursuit of your life. I'm going to leave that up there just, just for a second. It's, it's a schedule and a set of practices and relational rhythms that set up abiding as the central pursuit of your life. The word rule, it comes from the Latin word regula. It's where we get our English word regulate or regulize. It can also mean straight piece of wood, like think like a ruler for measuring And when we think of Jesus' word picture of the vine, every thriving vine needs what? It needs a trellis. 
every thriving vine needs a trellis, a structure to hold up the vine so it can grow and bear fruit. What a trellis is to a vine, a rule of life is to abiding. It's a way to organize your entire life around the practice of the presence of God. So if you're sitting there going like, why would I want to give myself to a rule of life? Like, why do, why do I want to do this? All right, two things real quick. Number one, you're already doing it. You, you already have a rule of life. Like, when do you get up in the morning? And how soon do you pick up your phone upon waking? And when do you sit with Jesus? When do you brush your teeth? When do you eat your breakfast, lunch, dinner? When do you exercise? When do you step away for places of rest and retreat? When do you do deep work? When do you check email? The question is not, do you have a rule of life? The question is, do you know what your rule of life is? And more importantly, do you know what your rule of life is doing to you? You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 5? said, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And I think another way to ask the question, do you have enough time and are you making the most of it, is to ask, do you know what your rule of life is? And do you know what your rule of life is doing to you? Who are you becoming because of your rule of life? Take my yoke, my rule upon you, Jesus says. And learn from me. And I'm suggesting that you take his rule over the culture's rule. That's number one. Number two, you already practice spiritual formation. Number two, you already practice spiritual formation. There is a difference between spiritual practices and spiritual formation. Spiritual practices, there are things Jesus did when he walked this earth to keep him tethered to the Father and to the Spirit. Things like fasting, which teaches us that We don't need to grasp after everything or solitude, which teaches us to be instead of do simplicity, which teaches us. We don't need all the things that the world tells us we need. And Sabbath teaches us to rest. Scripture teaches us the true story about reality. Prayer teaches us to converse with the Lord. These are spiritual practices. I like to call them the practices of Jesus. They help form us into his likeness. They also help us to be with him. But spiritual formation, totally different, totally different. Every person on the face of the planet is practicing spiritual formation every day of their life. All you have to do is wake up tomorrow, you're being formed. You don't have to do anything. You're being formed either into the image of Jesus or into the image of something else. You're being formed by your habits. You're being formed by your stories. You're being formed by your relationships. You're being formed by your phone. You're being formed by the line. You're being formed every day of every life. And I'm suggesting you be formed by Jesus and his rhythms rather than the culture and its rhythms. All right, two more things that I want to share with you on rule of life. So if you're like, yeah, maybe, kind of interested, not sure. If you're going to do this, two things. When I teach on rule of life, the, the question I always get back It's like, okay, how much stuff do I put in my rule of life? And and how long is it going to take me to do this? Okay, so first thing, start small. With a rule of life, start small. Like maybe, maybe if you're creating a rule of life, the only thing that you need to do is set a consistent 
bedtime and a consistent wake time and get like seven and a half hours or more of sleep for one week, what would that do to your abiding with Jesus? Start small. Maybe 10 minutes of silence, you know? Maybe practice that for like 10, 10 days a week, okay? Just don't try and bite off more that you can do. Counterculture formation in the way of Jesus takes time, but that's okay, friends. We got a lifetime. We had a lifetime to practice this and to give to it. It's not something that we're going to do for like the next few months. And then we're going to be like, I got this. I've mastered it. It's something we're giving a lifetime to. So start small. The second thing is think subtraction more than addition. Think subtraction more than addition. So if you flip over your, your message notes there. Okay. And I got this little chart here underneath John 15. And what's super cool about this is that the next five weeks or so, we're going to walk through these topics right here. Relationships, mind, body, money, living as a sent person. We've got time. And we've got time to go over this. My question to you is, what is the Spirit saying to you as you're going through these weeks? Like in relationships, is it one meaningful conversation a week with the mind? Is it books or, or podcasts? I don't know what it is. But what I suggest maybe you do before you even enter into addition is subtraction. Subtraction, like, can I cut anything out digitally? How much time am I watching TV? How much time am I on my phone? You can use that. Your iPhone will tell you, like, how much time you've been spending on it, right? Or where and when am I most idle? When am I not working or resting? I'm just kind of, right? Or what might Jesus be asking me to cut out? You could take 15 minutes this week. So go through these questions, write down what comes to your mind, allow the spirit to guide you, start small and think subtraction before addition. Now I knew we couldn't get into all kinds of things here, but I don't, I'm for pragmatic. Like I'm for practical here. Like Lisa and I are trying to live this out and we fail. I'm telling you like just December, December, man. December's a hard month. Anybody help me out here? <laughs> December's a hard month. And then we get to January. I was talking to a couple people even around here. It's like January, we're trying to make up for everything we put off in December until January, right? And so our hair's on fire just a little bit. So, but Lisa and I were trying to figure this out. And I was talking to her the other day. And I was like, man, we got to get back to our rule, you know? And we started small. I'll tell you, like we said, Thursday nights, because we used to have Friday, right in the middle of the day, we would meet, we had Friday. And we haven't had that because she went back to, to work full time. And so we're like, Thursday night, we got to go out. We got to Thursday night, like we're like exhausted. We're like, oh, are we still doing Thursday night? It's on our rule. I don't know. Should we do it? I'm exhausted. Are you exhausted? We got to do it. Okay. So we did it. We needed it. I'll tell you how much we needed it. Like we, our rule saved us in that moment. But we mess it up. Like we get off, we get off our rule. So I've just put a couple more resources here down at the bottom. And they move from like the simplest, like I, I just want to, I'm, I'm not sure about this yet. Like maybe I'll give it 10 minutes. All right. Do, that's great. Do the addition subtraction exercise. That's great. But you're like, I've, I feel good about that. I want to go to the next level. All right. You can use this QR code, QR code, go online. There's a life domain exercise. It'll walk you through the four helpfuls. We use this all the time here at Cherry Hills for helpful. It's like what's right, what's wrong, what's confused, what's missing. Just in different areas of your life. And you'll name reality right there. That's life domain. You're like, I want to I go a little deeper. Rule of life workbook. I just spent 12 weeks 
It was awesome. Walking with 15 students in a class that I taught on spiritual formation for the Institute. And we had a blast. And we were like, okay, this works, this doesn't. What about this? I have a question. And we just did all these things. All right? And nobody's perfect coming out of that class. But at least we got an idea of how can I step into this? Like, how can I have a rule? That rule of life workbook, exactly what we used. So you might even think about taking that class next fall, but you can get a head start. Like you'll have this thing done. You'll show up. I'm extra credit. I'm done. All right. That's the rule of life workbook. Crafting a rule of life by Stephen A. Macchia phenomenal book. And what this book does, it goes further than the rule of life workbook. It's going to help you name your vision and your values. Like who am I and what's God called me to? And then it's going to help you design your rule around that. So helpful. And then last one, redeeming your time. I was in the office this week. I'm talking to pastor Brian and he's like, man, best book I've ever read on time. Jordan Rayner, Redeeming Your Time. So I checked it out. I read like the first two chapters. So helpful. If you are like a practical, practical, practical person, he's got 34 practices in this book, okay? So if that overwhelms you, not your book, all right? (laughs) But if you like to nerd out on that kind of thing, man, go after it. Brian was telling me himself, he's like, I might use like three or four of these practices right now. I'm kind of, I'm walking it. I'm learning, all right? So I told you about our class and... I told you how, how much fun I had on that, how much we learned. You cannot do this without community. Do not start a rule of life like on your own. I'm gonna go do this because you're not. Oh, this is a joke. Like, let's just be honest here. You gotta do it with other people. We had to do it in our class with other people. So every week in this series, we're gonna show a story, just a testimony. We believe in life together. And it's gonna be a story about how people are honestly walking in the theme for this week. And Heather Creep did this one. She was in our class, got to know her during our class. I just want you to listen to her story. My name is Heather and I'm married to my husband, Brandon. We've been married for 17 years and we have six children. The oldest is 15 and the youngest is two. I spent several years with being pregnant or breastfeeding and having little kids and homeschooling all at the same time. So I was kind of in survival mode. I think the most challenging part about stewarding time is as a mom of young children, I feel like I have to be there all the time. So that's been my biggest challenge, just realizing that I need to help the community too. I need to help people outside of my family and then not feel guilty for doing that and getting out and helping others. John 15, 5, uh, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. That really rings true for me and my family. My kids and my husband know I have like this Bible time. It's just 30 minutes at least a day. And if I can get away more than that, I do. And I just sit with my Bible open in one hand and my notebook in the other. And I take notes and it just really fills me up. And my family knows like if I'm starting to get a little less patient, like, have you had your Bible time? time mom because they know and I know as well that I definitely need that to keep going. Our culture says that we don't have enough time but I think we do have time. We just have to spend it wisely. I think there are so many distractions out there but really that stuff just leaves us feeling drained and depressed. But if we just spend like even 15 minutes a day in God's word, that's life-changing. If you really prioritize your time and spend it wisely, 
you're less stressed and it's just a little more peaceful lifestyle. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So we need to seek and follow God's plan for our lives today. I get emotional watching that because walking with her for 12 weeks, I know her story. You know, I know it's not easy for her. I know it's not easy for any of us. So the last thing I would want to do is stand up on this stage and be like, hey, get a perfect rule of life. You know, make sure you do it. And I think that's what we do to ourselves. We feel so guilty. You know, we're like, I'm not getting it done. You probably are getting it done in a lot of ways already. You're doing good things. Can you be more intentional? Can you be more intentional? What's the spirit calling us into? We should always be asking that question. What's the spirit have next for me? And that's what I want to call us into today. I love what she says at the end. That's it today. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near now. And he's speaking always available to any person in any time in history. And all productivity flows out of that. So if you're following along on your notes, we make the best use of the time by making space for Kairos within Kratos. We make the best use of the time by making space for Kairos within Kronos. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.